and welcome to another episode of Total Reboot's new release reviews. My name is Alexi Toliopoulos, and joining me in some beautiful cinematic discussion that is, in my opinion, counter-programming to Doctor Strange taking over all the cinemas. We're giving you some extra options to go out and see one of my dearest friends, one of my favourite film critics, and one of the hosts of Save for Later, the great podcast from The Guardian. It's Michael Sun. Thank you so much for having me, Alexi. I feel like this is the first time we're like properly potting together like a full episode. We've done bits and pieces before. Mm-hmm. I'm so happy to finally be here with you. Me too. We've been friends for quite a few years now, and mm-hmm. we've worked mm-hmm. in podcasting together, but we've never properly just sat down and freaking gone on the record and talked about movies. So, Michael, may I pose to you this question? I'm ready. Is your love of cinema as strong as it's ever been? It is stronger than it's wow. ever been, I would say. I feel like I'm like, at the beginning of the year, I fully sat down and did the letterboxed wanker thing. I was like, I'm going <laughs> to... I, I'm going to watch 200 movies this year. Yes. In part, in, 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 in part because during lockdown last year, I watched so many movies mm-hmm. and, and then, I, and then it, I kind of like fell off the wagon when lockdown ended. And now I'm like, I'm fully back on the train. This is my goal. I have not, I'm definitely not going to hit it, but here we are. <laughs> It's a lofty sentiment. I believe in you, Michael. I think you could get freaking up to 200 movies. I think you could surpass it. I feel inspired by your words. There is a (laughs) tingle in my heart seeing your cinephile love come back to the forefront of your being. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 200 movies this year, not a single book read. That's the goal. That's exactly how you have to do it. Because I've done that for many years where I've gone, okay, I'm going to try and watch 360 movies minimum this year. You just have to cut out other media. I barely watch TV shows. I've read... Like maybe 10 books a year What the fuck is music? It's not entering my ears (laughs) Exactly I play movies very quietly on my smartphone (laughs) While I'm walking around you joke, but like that's the thing the thing that, that I've actually done. I feel like you you know all about my like insane childhood movie watching habits. <laughs> but one thing that I used to do, mm-hmm. I would have a movie on my iPod, but because my parents would sometimes like check that I wasn't <laughs> watching movies at night in my like in bed up to, un- until like the early hours of the morning, I would hide the iPod under my pillow, put my earphones into my ears and just like play a movie. <laughs> 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 and a movie that I've watched multiple times in that format is Angus Thongs and Perfect Snogging, just like oh, three times, God. audio only. More like Angus Thongs and Perfect Viewing Experience. It's how it's recommended. <laughs> Thank you for that. Thank you. <laughs> well, Michael, I'm really glad that you're on the podcast today because we're talking about two movies that you and I have wanted to discuss for quite some time. These are both smaller releases. They're probably sticking around in some boutique cinemas in Australia at the moment or your art houses. I'm talking your palaces, your dendies. Uh, but these are movies that I think we both highly recommend. We're going to be talking about a little bit later on in the podcast, Ryosuke Hamaguchi's second film for this year Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy previously on this podcast we even talked about Drive My Car so this is a follow-up film to that but before we do that we're going to talk about the latest film from Koganada which is After Yang what happened to Yang? I don't know he shut down last night he won't restart has this happened before? no if we can't get Yang fixed Buy another sibling for Mika. It is an interior core problem. I need your permission to break open the core. We've always known that some bots 
are equipped with spyware. You might not want this spot in your house anymore. I wish I had a real memory. What do you mean? So After Yang is the latest film from Cognato, who previously we know from movies like Columbus, but more so as a video essayist. I said essayist weird, but you know what I'm trying to say. He's a video essay maker who kind of revolutionized the format for cinephiles uh, with great works on Kubrick, Wes Anderson, that kind of focused on film aesthetic and connective motifs throughout different movies. And his filmmaking career so far has continued on the same path where they follow these aesthetic images of architecture of humanity's interaction with architecture and nature and also with technology and after yang is quite the surprise for me it's a speculative science fiction film that follows a family uh with the father played by colin farrell who have an adopted child from china who they have now in their family brought in an android a techno sapien called yang who serves as an older sibling to this child to kind of inform them on their heritage and where they've come from and what it means to be Asian, what it means to be Chinese. And I really did not anticipate this movie at all from Koganada because I kind of expected him to kind of follow the path of finding like this poetic beauty in the present. Who thinks that someone's going to make a science fiction movie ever? But what really struck me about this movie is, I don't know if we've ever talked about this, Michael, but I have, Mm. I I do love science fiction movies. I do love androids and all that kind of stuff, but I have a very low patience and tolerance for the theme of, in science fiction movies, what it means to be human. Okay. Thank God. No, thank God you mentioned that because I feel like I'm the exact same. I'm like, there are so many movies which do it better, right? Like that exact theme. Exactly. Um, it's been around like it's been the dominant theme in science fiction for like two hundred freaking years since Frankenstein, the book was first like plopped out. And then every film since then is like, what does it mean to be human if you're a freaking robot dude? And I go I go a bit crazy because I just like I don't care anymore. I don't care. Robots aren't real. I don't care what they feel like. And it kind of has like you know, it's really lumped in on me when the Blade Runner sequel twenty forty-nine came out and it was like these long slow shots of like pondering oh am i a fucking dude or am i a robot and i was going psycho because i was so bored watching it but this is the first time where i genuinely feel like it's a fresh take on that theme by not being what it means to be human but what does it mean to have your memories connected to a place that you've never been or never experienced or your what like the way heritage works in creating your identity. And rather than what what is it to be human, more like what is it to have an identity? I really agree with you in that sense that, um, yeah, like I also read somewhere that the movie, instead of asking what does it mean to be human, it's actually about what does it mean to be Chinese? Yeah. Which I think is like such a way more interesting question about like race and like the construction of race. And I think that 
theme only kind of like unravels itself maybe like two thirds of the way, three quarters of the way mm. through the movie. I don't know. It's 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 actually like a thematic spoiler to be revealing this at all. <laughs> but um, but it's so interesting. Like you you get these scenes where the robot android Yang um is kind of like talking to his maybe lover, maybe friend, played by Haley Lou Richardson. Um, and he's kind of hypothesizing and meditating on the state of the world. And he's very much like implies that he doesn't care about mm. being human at all. Like that's not anything that's like in his in his desires. He's way more interested in what race means to him and what it means when it's been coded into him instead of like something that he's actually lived. And what it means that he's almost become this like bastion of like Chinese heritage and Asian culture. Like he's meant to be teaching Mika, the adopted daughter, all about this when he himself has never even experienced it. And I think that was like a very fascinating reflection on that. My question to you, Alexi, is did you like Coconada's first movie, Columbus? Because I do not think I did. I I think I'm I'll tell you what, as soon as I finished watching After Ying, I did mm-hmm. order the Blu-ray to rewatch it. Yeah. Because I didn't like it as much as I resonated with Coganada's video essay work. Mm-hmm. And it was more of a curiosity to see how someone goes. Because there's things of the past, like, you know, where some of the great filmmakers uh, began, like, as critics. I'm talking about, like, the Kahidu Cinema dudes, uh, like, you know, Goddard and Truffaut. But to go from video essayist to cinema, I don't think we'd had seen something like that before. So it served as a curiosity. I think there's a lot of deep feelings in there. But it didn't quite resonate as powerfully with me as I would mm. have hoped uh, with a movie like that. There was enough stickiness in there for me to kind of like have it in the back of my brain for quite some time. So I think I did like it, but I always hoped for more. And I feel like After Yang is this unbelievable delivery on the promise that I always felt from Koganada and what I'd always hoped from. Because... I think what is so powerful about this film as well is like there's so much richness to the tapestry of this science fiction text. Like it's all this speculative fiction about like what it, what the world could be like in the future and what our relationships with technology will be like in the future and how it impacts our environment and how it impacts our families. And in that world, there's so many like little hints towards things. Like, you know, there's hints that there's like an authoritarian uh, techno regime Mm. in some points, but it like barely factors into the actual plot or the tenderness of the film. But it's such a rich, rich story world that is captured so elegantly. And this film deals with a lot of the idea of memory and how we interpret memory. And I feel like we get the full visual expression of Koganada here where we have memory taking different aesthetic forms, the present taking different aesthetic forms, and different perspective taking different aesthetic forms. Like, most of the movie is this kind of glowy, autumnal, late spring feeling of these images and this nice aspect ratio. But then we have, like, the aspect ratio remain the same, but then the way the camera captures them when we enter human memories to be quite different. It's a little bit more... Uh, more ha- free and handheld, I would say. And then we have these moments where we see Yang's perspective and then Yang's memories. And they're com- captured in a completely different, bigger aspect ratio where it's kind of blown out at the tops and bottoms and a different lens type. We see this the world and memory from someone else, from someone else's perspective. And I was so swept away by that. Yeah, those like changing aspect ratios 
definitely feel like the work of someone who has studied so deeply, like the like the entire film history of aesthetics, um, like like someone like Kaganada who you know like makes video essays about this stuff, like like about aspect ratios, mm. about just like very specific compositions and shots in other directors' work. I think that very deep knowledge for me did not work in Columbus because mm. it, it it almost felt like distracting to me in the sense that it was like you could tell that this was a director who was who was thinking who, whose thinking on style was so present and so almost like domineering in the movie mm. whereas here in After Yang it just like something something magical happens something ethereal just it, it all just clicks and mm. I think you're so right that it's like this is the work that we've been waiting for from Koganada all along I think in the short story that it's based on as well, um, which is called Saying Goodbye to Yang, I think, there's this much more obvious sense that something bad has happened in mm. this world, whereas Koganada very smartly like relegates that to just the a quiet murmur. And, and, I, and I think I love that character in this movie as well, um, who's like the crazy conspiracist guy who's um, trying to fix Yang after the robot breaks down. Um, and he's like dispensing all of these like wild hypotheses mm. on the world and the and the tech and and the like autocracy and the technocracy blah 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 blah. When I watched it, I was like, "This is Alexi's favorite character, <laughs> like just like a mad scientist." Um, yeah, I think he got me covered. I did love that guy. <laughs> I love that in any movie that's a science fiction movie, and we see like a mechanic. I'm like, "Yeah, this is my guy. I love this guy." Literally, he like plays so deeply into that whole history of like mad scientists, mm-hmm. and then he just like kind of disappears from the movie entirely. From the moment, I guess, when he kind of like melts away as a character is when the movie kind of shifts from mm. um, its initial quest of like how do we fix Yang to kind of more deeply understanding yeah. who this guy even was. And there is like such like dreaminess, like mm. all the like when, when we watch Yang's memories, um, which are mediated through Colin Farrell watching his memories through like a memory chip um that was installed within the robot like all those memories do play like dreams and i think i saw somewhere that it almost feels if you will malikian like it feels mm-hmm. like very like tree of life-esque <laughs> mm. when you get these like snatches of just like what what a life actually is composed of um and especially because i think the actual plot device in those memories is that um, Yang has captured a few seconds a day that he thinks are the most worth worth recalling. Mm. Um, so and you it get this really sense- calls that idea that we have so much of like people posting those one second a day videos. Yes, that's exactly what it felt like to me. <laughs> um, yeah, like 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 is those compilations where, where it's like what what do you actually choose um, as the most memorable moment from your day and from understanding that you get to see like a deeper soul, if you will. Um, also, I think something that that keeps coming back in this movie is a beautiful song. Um, that that was covered by Mitski called Glide, which originally is, is from the film All About Lily Chow Chow, right? Yeah. Um, and that song kind of plays in one of Yang's memories, and it keeps coming back to the surface these, like, three seconds over and over again um, as this, like, really gorgeous motif. And again, like, like paying homage to Koganada's deep love and, like, knowledge of film. And I think something that really stuck with me about After Yang, I guess kind of battling with my preconceptions of what it could be, was I did have this fear that it would be a style of a substance kind mm. of a kind of affair. But 
it's not even style creating substance. I really think that this is a beautiful example of style meeting substance and like how you can kind of create and express the feelings that you're concocting through the art of cinematic style. And I think it is such, I think it really might be the best science fiction movie I've seen in like the last 10 or so years. Incredible this, claim. Incredible claim. I'm I'm really struck by this movie because it is so different to kind of what we're used to seeing in this android type movie. Um, mm-hmm. I'm fully going out there, Michael. I'm absolutely giving this four and a half stars. I absolutely adored After Yang. I'm going to give it a solid four, I'd say. Wow. So you hated the movie. So I hated the movie. <laughs> Fuck Coganada. <laughs> <laughs> So, the next film that we're talking about is The Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy. It is directed by kind of the man of the year, Hamaguchi, who had already knocked everyone's socks off with Drive My Car. Michael, what is this movie all about? Well, first of all, like, this man is just so prolific, right? Yes. Like, some, some people don't even watch two movies in one year. <laughs> and this is like, he's made two movies in one year. Um, and they, can, they both equal to about six hours in length in total. <laughs> so, Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy is a short film cycle, I guess. It's an anthology movie with three short films, which are all about chance and coincidence. And I guess almost kind of about, kind of about like, misconnections. Um, so a really quick summary of like all three films and then we'll dive right in. The first one is kind of about these like two women, best friends, um, unbeknownst to one of them, they're actually in love with the same man. Mm. Um, and then we hurdle straight into the second movie, which is about a student who gets failed by a professor. It kind of derails his career. And then to get back at his professor, he enlists his mistress lover and concocts a plan to kind of like sexually entrap this professor um and the third one my personal favorite i would say is about Mm. a woman who goes back home for a high school reunion she bumps into an old friend who also may or may not have been her first high school crush so so already you can see that there are all these like themes of um of like the stars aligning um and all these coincidences Mm. happening to form these like romantic and emotional trysts um, which kind of almost feel to me like a bit of like magical realism, right? It's like completely like like no actual magic happens, but mm. the way that like these characters' fates actually intertwine feel written in the stars, feel faded, feel magical in that way. Well, even the first film, the first short film is called Magic or Something Less Assuring. Um, I think you're spot on. There is that sense of magic realism because I think that coincidence, that dramatic idea of coincidence is one of the most effective cinematic tropes that we kind of come to. And to have this movie be based around that very that very like cosmic idea of coincidence that film interprets so beautifully, I think it's a kind of perfect thing for a series of anthological uh, short films to hang themselves on like that. It just works so much because usually we have short films in an anthology cycle that are kind of based around the same theme, but to have it be based around the same kind of embodied feeling of coincidence, 
I think is really magical and allows these films to just really capture this kind of poetic realism. And mm. I think that's the thing that I appreciated most in this first viewing of this film. I saw it originally at the Japanese Film Festival last year, and then I caught up with it again this week, is there is this really interesting thing where the first two films capture this really real sense of poetic, kind of poetic realism about, like, feelings and with some kind of, like, you know, coincidentals and exciting moments to create a bigger sense of drama and a bigger sense of a cinematic world. And then the third film begins with an opening scrawl of in the few in 2019 there was a computer virus that <laughs> took out email and internet and we all went back to telegrams and and letters and post and this is the world that we live in currently and then it just tells a simple story that just needs no technology around it and I found it so. I found that really funny and such a little fun take on, like, the way to build the structure of an anthology short film film. Yeah, I think it's so hilarious as well because when when the scroll actually runs, it it almost is like this, like, stripped-back ba- version mm-hmm. of, like, a Star Wars <laughs> yes. intro, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like you're full-on getting the, like, in a galaxy far, far away kind of thing. Um and then, like, Hamaguchi makes these absolutely insane decisions. Mm-hmm. But then the the way the actual film plays out just feels so... what Whatever the opposite is sane, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> like, the film plays out in a way that feels so natural. And so, like, oh, like, of course, that's what would happen if you had this, like, absolutely bonkers premise. Um, and I think in that sense... Um, and I promise I'm not just um, um, racially essentializing these... <laughs> these things but i feel like in that sense it almost feels like ghibli Mm. um where you get these very like magical poetic premises and then the actual film itself is just about the fabric of everyday life it's just about like what daily existence would would feel like um despite these outlandish scenarios that people are put in and i think if people are coming to this having seen drive my car and like me, wanting to see more from this filmmaker, I think the thing that really surprised me about this was how genuinely funny this kind this film really is. Like each of these moments, they they do find moments of uh, where it plays with like the manners and etiquette that works so well in comedy to kind of bring out the comedic distance between characters. But I think each one has a different sense of humor as well, which I found so fascinating. Like the first one is probably the most naturalistic where it's this Mm -hmm. love triangle and there are moments of fantasy, but it is more about the idea of, I guess, almost feeling rejected and then being able to move on from those feelings. Whereas the second one is the first where it really becomes quite speculative. Like, what if you did this to your teacher? Yeah. And then, or I found that to be quite funny because we have, like, this whole world set up where this teacher's won this prize, but he's got a student that hates him. So, he sends, (laughs) this student sends his mistress to seduce him. And I found it so fascinating on the rewatch because I remembered that part of the story where it's, like, about the seduction. I completely forgot that, Half of that story, at least, is about the failed student years later bumping into his mistress um, Mm. on a bus and how their lives have both been affected by the the bad circumstances and the bad outcomes of their previous meeting where they took down this teacher basically by accident in the end. And 
I found that to be really, it, it, it takes the funny premise and then grounds it in the humanity at the end, which I found so interesting. Yeah, there's this um, kind of sense of like melancholy, which runs through, I guess, all of Hamaguchi's work in general. But mm. definitely th- this film, despite the funny comedic setups, it and, 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 I, and I think to like draw another comparison, I think it also like it, it kind of reminds me of like the classic, you know, like O. Henry short stories, like The mm. Gift of the Magi, where it's like really talking about how 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 people interact with each other. They can form like incredibly deep bonds, but then betray each other in just like the, the wildest of ways. Um, and I think there's something like quite 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 delightful in in the intimacy that Hamaguchi can actually create in the space of like 30 minutes, 40 minutes. Like like we've seen what he can do over three and a half hours mm. in Drive My Car, but these are really small stories which all end on either like a very poignantly melancholy place or I guess in the, in the case of the third film, which is my favourite, um, and without spoiling it, of course, but it almost ends in this place of like fleeting ephemeral mm. connection. And um, deep catharsis as well deep in that catharsis. connection. Yes, and you know, like I, I feel like I've become so jaded just mm. over the course of the past twenty-four months and everything that's happening in the world. But I think like a movie like this is 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 like the exact kind of movie which can actually like melt mm-hmm. um, someone's icy exterior. Wow. It, cer- it certainly melted mine, Alexis. Wow, we got the first <laughs> jade melter on the podcast. <laughs> I would agree to that. And I think what uh, Hamaguchi does so well, and I think it's probably the closest that we have to a genuine connective tissue between this and Drive My Car, is the power of the relationship of strangers. And especially in that third film, which is also my favorite film, I'm right with you there mm-hmm. in Once Again, where they have this these two strangers meet and then they have this freedom to be themselves or like a either a truer version of themselves with each other or a version of themselves that they have yet to express to anyone, to each other. It's almost like a dry run of what they've needed to tell people for their whole lives. And I think it's this meeting of two people where they see the void in each other. They see like the loneliness or the kind of sadness in each other. And then they bring out the happiness. I I absolutely found it so moving. Michael, what are you rating? Wheel of Fortune of Fantasy. I think I'm straight up rating this movie five stars. Wow. Hamaguchi remains king. That is very exciting. I am giving it four stars, but it is a four stars. Also, you hated it. I did hate this movie. It's one of my least favorite movies of the year. I would have to go on record as saying. Um, no, I love this movie. I think it's really great. But between this and Drive My Car, we see like quite a big difference in expression from this one filmmaker. I think this guy is going to be one of my guys for the rest of my life. There's two mm-hmm. other films of his that are also screening on the Criterion channel at the moment, which I haven't caught up with yet because one of them's five hours long and I don't know <laughs> when I can block out a five-hour period of my life to watch it. Uh, but also so is Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy. So if you can't see it in the cinema and you have access to the Criterion channel, 
it is definitely worth catching up. With. I got that email from Criterion this morning, and I was like, I like let out a giant whoop into my kitchen, <laughs> um, and it was one of the lamest things I've ever done in my life. No, we support that kind of whoopy behavior here on the podcast. Yeah, we actually you're it honor here first. it. We think it's cool, and we think you're awesome. <laughs> Thank you, Father Alexi. This is actually a Catholic confession. <laughs> Michael, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Um, I love talking to you so much about movies. This was a pure joy to have you on. And let me tell you this. It's not going to be the freaking last time. You're going to have to come back and talk about Flicks with me whenever you can. But you can be heard all the time, every week, on the Guardian Culture Podcast called Safe for Later. Can you tell us a little bit about that show? Yes, I absolutely can. It's a show that is all about internet culture um, and the tabs that our brains can't close, um, as we also say every single week on the show. <laughs> um, tune in if you are just a fan of like insane, brainwormed internet discourse. But also, um, sometimes we actually do get to, if I do say so myself, smarter, deeper, interesting places on how the internet is um, is making us all slowly crazy. You had a great episode that kind of dug into the found on Wikipedia that has become such a... What's the actual page called? That Depths of Wikipedia. Depths of Wikipedia, yeah. I love that episode to kind of figure out like the actual humor of Wikipedia because everyone knows Wikipedia is funny, but to get into it, I found fascinating. She was so good, and I'm and I'm obsessed with like just the depth of how far she's willing to go to investigate Wikipedia-related mysteries. And I think at the end, she told us that she was investigating this um the origins of this meme. Do you like? Do can you imagine your mind, Alexi, that meme where it's like a woman standing in the supermarket with a bag of peas on her head, and mm-hmm. it's like she's so crazy. Yeah. I love her. Yeah. She's trying to find out who that woman is <gasps> right now. So wow. any leads greatly appreciated. Good Lord, if any listeners out there have anything in the way of leads on the kooky lady that wears frozen peas (laughs) on her head... Please send them our way. Michael, you're also prolific on Twitter and Instagram. What are your handles there? Um, You can find me on Twitter at Michael Sun, but the first I is actually an L. It's very confusing, and I've been trying to get it changed my whole life, but it's stuck with me. On Instagram, I'm michael.pdf. I would also say maybe if you follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can go to who I follow and then type in Mikey <laughs> and you'll find Michael that way. It might be yeah, easier. perfect, perfect. In the meantime, if you want to hear more from us, you can head over to patreon.com slash total reboot and sign up for bonus episodes of the podcast. Cam and I have just talked about the Avatar 2 trailer and we are currently doing a mini series about heist movies. We've just covered Sexy Beast, Dog Day Afternoon, The Ocean's 11 trilogy from Steven Soderbergh. And later, coming up next on the podcast, we're going to be looking at a movie from F. Gary Gray called Set It Off, starring Queen Latifah and Jada Pinkett Smith, one of my favorite heist movies of all time. So check out the movie. It's on Netflix. You can buy it on iTunes these days. It used to be hard to find, but honey, that is not the story anymore. Um, I also want to give a quick shout out to a couple things. I just saw The Drover's Wife. Have you seen that, Michael? I haven't, but I've been seeing lots of good things about it. It is the directorial debut feature film from one of the great Australian actors, Leah Purcell. And it is this black feminist revisionist Western that I think would tick a lot of boxes for people with me just describing it that way. It is a real cool one. A beautiful Australian nature landscapes that we don't 
see in this exact way in our westerns very often uh, i think it's really worth people's time it's you know one of our great actors stepping up to the director's chair and knocking it out of the park i think it's a really cool one and once again thank you to all the reboot rats for joining us on this new release reviews episode we love sharing the complete adoration of cinema with some beautiful like-minded cinephiles like yourselves and hopefully This has put a couple of interesting, exciting movies on your radar after Yang and The Wheel of Fortune of Fantasy. If you can't check them out in cinemas, hopefully they'll be arriving in your homes very soon. So keep them in your mind. Keep them in your thoughts. And Michael, thanks so much for hanging out on the podcast, dude. Hopefully you'll come back very soon. See you so soon. See you later, babies. Bye-bye.